This is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Shahid. He's talking about RTL and lightning adoption. This is the first podcast episode of 2021. We had a bit of a rough end to 2020. Hopefully my listeners understand how crazy 2020 was and how uh, emotionally unstable it it was last year. But I am definitely trying to improve uh, for this year and to be as emotionally healthy as we can in the various choices I make throughout the day. I'm really glad to have Shahib on this particular episode. Um, we talked about RTL. I use RTL a lot, so I think it's a really cool piece of software to go into to let our listeners know about if they don't already know about it. And just to have a good start on our year here, you know, we're, go- we're having these conversations about Bitcoin, having these conversations about Lightning, trying to find what we can learn and how we can expand ourselves. I think that's a a good thing to start the year with. I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions because I think we should be doing that every day and not making January 1st the only time we can have resolutions on how we can improve ourselves. So let's have this episode be where we really begin to do that. If you want to support the podcast, you can support us at lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. I don't want to spend too much time with the preamble here. So let's go ahead and jump into this episode. I would like to go ahead and welcome Sahib to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. As I stated in the uh, intro to this podcast, this is the first episode of 2021. We had a bit of a break at the end of 2020 there. We didn't uh, have anything for the month of December. And so I'm really happy that we have you on to talk about RTL, talk about Bitcoin, talk about Lightning a bit, you know, and just try to uh, breathe life back into the show here a bit. Happy to be a part of that. (laughs) Fantastic. Very much like I start most of my other shows, I just wanted to get a bit of an idea of how you got started on Bitcoin and Lightning, and then we'll, we'll kind of move into how you got started on RTL, what RTL is, and all that good stuff. No problem. If you don't mind, we'll go ahead and jump into how you found Bitcoin first. Uh, it's actually a, not a very exciting story, but yeah, I've been exposed to Bitcoin, let's say, in 2012, 2013, when I was actually reading about a virtual currency uh, whose price is going uh, pretty at a pretty exciting rate and was making news at that time. I just knew about it, heard about it, I, and I was actually curious about it, but never really dabbled into it. I really got into Bitcoin somewhere around in later half of 2017. I was actually trying to study Bitcoin as part of my job. I work in the financial industry as my day job. I was actually interested in getting into payments industry. I wanted to study what's going on what is the latest and greatest in, in terms of innovation happening in the payments industry, quote unquote. I realized that, okay, you know, I don't know about Bitcoin. Maybe if I'm trying to get into this space, let me at least study Bitcoin a little bit. As part of my personal ambition, I started learning about Bitcoin, did a course, uh, believe it or not, a course in Udemy uh, on Bitcoin. That was my first formal introduction to it. From that point onwards, it's been just, uh, you know, going down the rabbit hole. Then uh, as a next step, I bought some Bitcoin, 
you know, interestingly, nobody actually sold Bitcoin to me. So like sold in the sense, like nobody's tried to convince me to get into Bitcoin. It was my on my own volition that I started learning about it and started, you know, getting deeper and deeper into it. Once I, I bought somewhere around in October 2017, some Bitcoin and Coinbase, bought some other shit coins also, <laughs> uh, like any any new noob would, you know, started learning about it more and more. I actually got into Twitter around that time, started listening, listening to podcasts, like reading as much as I could, because it was something which really excited me. I just went from learning to buying. I was initially very excited about mining. So I set up a mining rig, uh, a GPU mining rig. You know, I want to learn about it technically. Finally, I figured out somewhere around in in the end of 2017 that, you know, mining at the retail level is not really going to do anything for me. I should look at some other ways to get more Bitcoin, one thing. Second thing, you know, learn more about it. That was end of 2017 when I came across uh, Lightning Network as an area which is getting developed on, on Bitcoin. That was the next phase of revelation for me when I graduated from Bitcoin plus shitcoins to Bitcoin only, because Lightning was the the uh, the thing which actually convinced me that digital gold store of value is the right narrative to get behind, and Lightning is is actually a narrative which builds on top of it, and that's where I want to be. This is my kind of like initial part of the journey. Like we can get into RTL later, but yeah, that's how kind of I kind of started. Absolutely. So uh, you joined Coinbase, you know, got Bitcoin in the shit coins. Yeah. <laughs> what was the separating factor that brought you to Bitcoin and Lightning versus, you know, shit coins and more shit coins, basically? Like any new boot, I was completely confused when I started out, got into Bitcoin and got into Ethereum and got into Litecoin and everything. I was actually a Litecoin bull <laughs> at one, one point, believe it or not. Differentiating factor for me actually was when I read about lightning and understood lightning at that point i realized that you know when the blockchains cannot scale horizontally uh, you know at the chain level and none of the blockchain solution would actually ever scale at the uh, at the base layer level that's not the right solution because the trade offs that we have to make to ensure that the blockchain solution remains uh, decentralized those trade offs will not allow the blockchain to scale at the base layer the best way to scale it has to be building on top of it, building in layers and building vertically. If when we are doing it, we have to look at what is the network which has the most hash power, which has the most chances of survival over a long period of time, has a good uh, developer ecosystem, and then you know where it makes sense for the scale to be built. And that's where Bitcoin won convincingly over all the other coins which are, which are in existence. So that was the thing which actually convinced me that, you know, the base layer should remain decentralized. And if we have to scale that, we have to scale it vertically, which means that we should be building on top of it. And that's when I realized that, you know, spending time on any other shitcoins is uh, is purely a waste of time. Each shitcoin will uh, have its own path to ultimately uh, be, you know, to becoming irrelevant. It's best to not focus on anything else other than Bitcoin. And that's why I decided to exclusively focus only on Bitcoin and got out of every other shitcoin that I had. Do you think the big block versions of Bitcoin that exists out there, do you think those are complete dead ends then? I, I think so too, uh, definitely, because like I said, we definitely cannot compromise on any factor which affects the decentralization uh, narrative. That is the trade-off that we are making, being able to run a node, anybody being able to run a node and having the minimum commodity resource requirement to be able to run a node is actually a winning argument. 
you take any other uh, coin, uh, none of those coins actually win that argument. They try to foolishly scale at the base layer, which uh, in the end compromises the whole uh, you know, decentralization narrative, which is not something that we should compromise on. That's my firm belief. It's very interesting because you know we're definitely getting going to get into RTL here. RTL is basically on a lot of the most popular node implementations now. You have it on my node. You have it on Umbral. You have it on Raspberry Blitz, I believe. BTC Pay Server. All, you know all the big ones. Taking a step back and just talking about nodes in general for a moment. Can you even think of any other cryptocurrency community or whatever you want to call it? that has like nodes, you know, running your own node at home or wherever as part of their ethos. It seems to be a very uniquely Bitcoin thing. Do you have any opinion there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, first of all, having all of these commodity solutions, which uh, allow you to off the shelf buy node solutions, and then having that enthusiasm to run your node, having that enthusiasm to encourage people to be masters of their own uh, data, not being dependent on um, any other data provider. That is very unique to uh, Bitcoin per se. I think that actually makes it really unique, first of all, uh, because from the first principles itself, we are always pushing our users to uh, be self-sovereign, you know, uh, not being dependent on any data provider if they are technically inclined. Everybody has an option to use centralized service providers, but if you are technically inclined, there are so many solutions available that uh, you actually need not be dependent on any other uh, third party. And that is kind of baked into the ethos of the community. I struggle to think if it could even work on anything else. Like on Ethereum, it's quite known that most of the dApps use uh, Infura or whatever, how you say it out loud. Going down the list of the rest, it's not even a consideration. BSV is like, have a $20,000 node or get the fuck out kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's furthest from our ethos as possible of like, let's say Lightning. I want to have my Bitcoin on Lightning where I can look after it. Like, I don't want to have it on someone else's node and hope, cross my fingers, that they're not going to be like a thief later on and just take everything and exit scam or something. Yeah, if you look at, you know, what are the biggest coins other than Bitcoin, Ethereum, it's very difficult to do or have this kind of model in Ethereum. And actually, you know, people throw aspersions at Bitcoin saying that, you know, it's uh, not really innovating. If you look at this aspect of Bitcoin, it really is far ahead of any other coin in existence. There is no community of coins which actually are running nodes at this level, decentralized at this level, right, having that resiliency at this level that Bitcoin has. Uh, there's no other coin which has such a, you know, interesting second layer solution being built. So all of these things are really unique to Bitcoin and actually highlight the, uh, the uh, how far ahead Bitcoin actually is compared to all of its existing peers right now. Do you think we're going to see a future where the other coins are suffering because they never got around to setting up this ethos or making this relevant to their ecosystem? I think so, because if you look at any other competing narrative that they come up with, right? Uh, sooner or later, that actually comes into Bitcoin. I'm sure privacy is going to improve with Taproot Ishnar. The scale is going to improve with Lightning as a second layer. In the long run, none of the other narratives is going to actually survive. Given that Bitcoin has such a big network effect, uh, such a large commanding lead on the hash power, ultimately, none of the narratives will uh, will survive. And you know, Bitcoin is the only one which is going to be remaining. So it makes sense to be on Bitcoin. 
it makes sense to learn and spend your time uh, on Bitcoin. This is my firm belief that uh, Bitcoin is the only one which will stand the test of time and resiliency. Right. This is kind of an argument that I think has been going on for a while. Shortly after the, uh, the, the Ethereum ICO in like 2015 or 2014, the Bitcoiner narrative is why do we need Ethereum? Because eventually we're going to just have it on Bitcoin in the favor of other people, you know, not Bitcoiners. That hasn't come to fruition in the way that I think we probably wanted it to back then. We have Rootstock right now, which I'm not sure if Bitcoiners really care about Rootstock, to be entirely honest. I think the thing that Bitcoiners are more likely to be interested in is RGB being built on top of Lightning from Giacomo and Maxim and those folks that are working on that. So I think that's probably an answer to that and maybe how we're going to get you know to things that Ethereum was kind of doing with their quote-unquote world computer narrative. I think that's very much the correct um, answer that you gave there. Very often, I get into pointless uh, Twitter debates with people that are really into Nano, for example. It's like repeating the same argument with different coins over the years, because the people that really are into Nano could have been into Litecoin before, into Dogecoin before, because the argument for them is it's fast and cheap. I don't see that as being enough of a differentiating factor to really say, hey, get Nano, it's, it's the future, when it's like, well, Bitcoin has all the network effects, it has the most likelihood of being an asset that people are just going to have. So why wouldn't we just build a fast and cheap solution on top of that versus trying to make 30 different coins to do 30 different things and have to rebuild the, the network effects from scratch? Do you see the future being where we slowly kind of beat it into the rest of the uh, cryptocurrency community that everything they're doing is a bit of a waste of time and most things will be folded into Bitcoin on a long enough timeline? My belief is that having arguments with people is actually not going to help them convince. Uh, they, they'll not be convinced. You know? We can keep on endlessly arguing, uh, you know, with uh, because once people have put in their money, have bought into some ecosystem, they have certain incentive attached with, you know, trying to either make it successful or at least being continuing to believe that uh, whatever investment decision they have made is going to be the right one. So it's difficult to, you know, argue uh, or even make any reasoned argument and they'll be convinced that whatever investment decision they made is the wrong one. I think it's uh, over a period of time. As Bitcoin's network effect continue to consolidate, all the adoption that we are seeing, the price rise that we are seeing, right? Over a period of time, people will realize that this kind of innovation is not something which will have multiple options uh, and multiple products which people are going to choose from. This is a winner-all-take uh, you know, scenario. And Bitcoin is clearly the one which is going to win this race. It's, it's very clear, at least in my mind, that there's not going to be any other significant winner which will come out and say, you know, uh, or, or share market with Bitcoin. It's not going to happen. I believe people will only learn uh, uh, over a period of time uh, as they see Bitcoin's price uh, appreciating, the network around it getting built, uh, they will realize that it's not worthwhile. And in fact, my belief is that shitcoins are only created for their founders and Bitcoin has been created for everyone else. I think over a period of time, everybody will see that narrative and then, you know, <laughs> everything else is going to just peter out. And you can actually see that even from the market share perspective compared to the last bull run. Uh, the market share that Bitcoin has captured actually in this bull run is significantly different. That is what we are going to see with one cycle, one more cycle or another cycle. 
it's going to make sense that having money in anything else is just a waste of time. Do you see any way for Bitcoin to lose or, or to fail? My view is that the only threat that you would want to give some credibility to, which remains at this point, is maybe a regulatory threat. And I see that as kind of getting weakened over a period of time as we see more and more institutional adoption. Technically, I don't see any threat. Uh, Network-wise, I don't see any threat. Network effect-wise, I don't see any threat. The only threat which is remaining at this point in my mind is some sort of a regulatory attack or a state attack where it might grow to a point where states will feel threatened and they will try to uh, you know, have some sort of a control over it. But I think, uh, you know, over a period of time, that attack will also become weak as, uh, you know, more and more institutions come on board. It kind of builds some sort of a protective moat around Bitcoin. They now institutions will have uh, a skin in the game. Politicians have a skin in the game. I see that threat becoming uh, weakened over a period of time, but that is the only threat that I will basically give some credibility to. Everything else, uh, there's no other threat in my mind uh, to Bitcoin. I would probably agree with that, but like I, I guess you're kind of right that even let's say if the U.S. were to fully ban Bitcoin tomorrow, which seems very unlikely at this point, but let's say that they did, it seems very short-sighted. Like even if they went to that extreme, that the rest of the world would probably be fine. Like even if the United States tried to do with what they did with torrents, for example, like try to go around the world and try to bully people into making sure Hollywood was getting paid or whatever. Yeah, I don't see banning Bitcoin as any threat, actually. In my mind, I don't think that's a credible threat. The threat that I see from state is more about controlling or trying to do more KYC or trying to make use of Bitcoin difficult through onerous regulation, trying to discourage self-custody, for instance. I see those as direct threats to you know Bitcoin's usage because, or at least weakening uh, Bitcoin's narrative. But I don't see a threat, a direct threat like banning uh, per se, because uh, I don't think any uh, advanced economy will actually do that. Because if they do that, they are going to create a regulatory arbitrage, which other economies will jump onto. Any advanced economy I don't see will try to directly threaten Bitcoin like that, but they will try to co-opt the narrative, maybe change the narrative, influence it in such a way that it loses its potency, maybe to a certain extent. That is the credible threat that I see. Moving on slightly here. I tend not to talk about the Bitcoin price on Lightning Junkies very much because we're focused on the technology of Lightning more so. But I never had the show running during an actual bull market. So I think it stands to have some comments made here. So what's what's your uh, feelings right now from we had a nice run up from 10,000 to 41,000. What's your sense right now? Like, how do you think things are feeling? Where do you think things are going? It doesn't have to be price exactly, but just where do you sense things going in the short term here? Okay, so let me tie that in with, uh, to a certain extent, maybe to lightning adoption, <laughs> right? Because I don't directly, like, uh, I'm not an expert on price. I'm just, a, you know, a pleb <laughs> consumer of Bitcoin who is just trying to collect corn as much as he can. But what I do want to do is price has a very important uh, metric or one of the most important metric. I'll touch upon two or three aspects of it. So uh, one aspect is, We've seen that as uh, price appreciates, you know, people are coming up with narrative that let's try to change the unit of Bitcoin to Mbit, right? Maybe or Sats, so that people don't have that unit bias when they are buying, trying to buy Bitcoin. I don't think that narrative has a lot of value per se because the headline number of Bitcoin is always going to be the whole Bitcoin. It's never going to be, you know, M Bitcoin or Sats even. Although I, I consider Sats as a more 
logical unit to price Bitcoin in, but I, it was never going to be the headline number. Headline or news about Bitcoin's price will always be the whole Bitcoin, right? So, you know, one Bitcoin is 30,000 or one Bitcoin is 40,000. The shock value at the price of one Bitcoin actually gives has a significant attention grabbing value. Nobody's going to compromise that. Nobody's, nobody's going to go and, you know, dilute that headline by quoting the price in MBIT. So reducing the unit is not going to have any significant impact on the user psyche. That's one perspective. Second perspective is right now the narrative that we are building towards, and this I want to tie in with lightning adoption, is because the narrative that we have is Bitcoin currently is a emerging store of value or a digital gold. So I see that narrative as strengthening, which will have significant impact on Bitcoin's price. If you look at Bitcoin's market share compared to gold, I think it's somewhere around 4%, maybe, depending on what the price is. If it goes to, you know, maybe 10% of gold, the price can be in the range of 50,000 to 60,000, you know, within that range. I think that's a reasonable target for Bitcoin. I don't know in the time frame, uh, maybe, uh, you know, one year, two years. I, I think that's a reasonable target in medium term for Bitcoin to achieve, right, as its adoption continues to increase. I think that has a significant impact on how lightning adoption improves. My view is that first, the store of value narrative has to solidify. It has to become the narrative which sustains over a period of time. Once we have the sustenance of the narrative of store of value, then we will see the adoption on lightning increase because as the price rise, you will actually see, you know, merchants now looking at can we get, can we, whatever we are selling on Amazon or any other e-commerce platform, can we sell that for Bitcoin? I see that narrative coming into force only once Bitcoin's price starts going above 50,000 50, or above. If Bitcoin's price is above that number, then you can see that merchants looking at options, like which website can give us an option to accept Bitcoin or can they force Amazon to say, uh, okay, we like directly accept Bitcoin. If that happens, that is where you will see lightning coming into picture, you know, ability to do fast transactions on Bitcoins come into picture. And that's when you will see, you know, lightning narrative starting to gain more and more uh, foothold uh, in, in terms of mainstream adoption. Let's go ahead and jump into kind of more specific uh, lightning talk then. Going off your lightning adoption thing. So something I was just looking at, I was pulling up 1ml.com, the lightning network site that has all the little uh, data on it and everything. I am looking at the overall capacity. It's basically the same that it was when I first started on lightning about a thousand BTC. Um, obviously the amount in dollars that that represents has gone up since then, but you know, the, the Bitcoin itself is staying fairly flat. What do you think that's a function of? And do you think that's going to continue to be flat until something big changes? Or what do you think there? A couple of points there. So first point is the public capacity that you see on oneml.com, or if you run your own node, you can actually get that number from your node as well. That capacity is only reflecting one aspect of the network, which is public. It does not count liquidity logged into private channels, which there is no way for us to actually identify because if the channels are private, it will not count into the public graph of the Lightning Network. In private channels, there can be significant liquidity logged in, which we have no clue of. Those type of channels actually are good at the institutional level. So for instance, if you look at LN Strike, for instance, right? It's coming up with its own, with its own remit, remittance solution. So what it may, may do is set up nodes across the whole, you know, wherever on the globe or wherever they are doing going to do remittances. And they are going to open up private channels between their own nodes and do the transfer of funds between their own nodes. We will not even know 
what is their capacity uh, what is the overall uh, level bitcoin level at which they are kind of engaged or the liquidity that they have logged into lightning network we'll never get an idea of that so basically there is a public network capacity aspect which we see right now on oneil.com or on your own node uh, which is only a partial picture and there is a lot of liquidity which might be tied in in the private channels which actually we have no idea about but which i do see institutions actually leveraging if they start moving towards a remittances solution like the way Allen Strike is. So that's my take on the network capacity. Uh, the second thing is, like I said about adoption, right? Uh, Lightning is still at a very early stage of adoption. It is, it is not, it's not seen any serious adoption. Uh, and that's fine right now, because right now, Bitcoin's store of value narrative has to continue to grow and sustain. Once that happens, once there is, if you look at mempool, the fee pressure can kind of ebbs and flows. We don't see a lot of sustained fee pressure. Once that free pressure becomes sustained, mempool never uh, gets uh, drained out. It stays at uh, you know 120 cents per byte level or, or even more. So one thing is the fee pressure. Second thing is uh, the demand for transactions also, which where I believe that Bitcoin's price is actually going to play a role. If merchants uh, starts asking for Bitcoin payments, then you will see that what is the alternative for merchants where they can actually do fast payments. And that's where lightning adoption should actually come into picture. I've been using Lightning for, I think, almost two years at this point. Things have changed a little bit. You know, we've had uh, bigger names jump onto the scene, bigger uh, companies that allow you to spend your sats in a kind of money-saving way where you get sats back or what have you. Do you think that there is a very limited amount of use cases right now? I was having a, a talk with someone else, and I think what we really came up with is like Fold, Bit Refill, you know, a couple others that are under the same niche. And then Poyo feed. And that's basically <laughs> all we've been able to come up with. Would you kind of agree with that or would you say something different? There are actually more use cases uh, getting developed, I think, which actually builds on top of Lightning. Have you tried Sphinx Jack, for instance? That's actually a good use case. Very good one. Yeah, absolutely. So that I think is actually very unique in itself, being able to do chat uh, private, having have private chats completely encrypted compensated by a Lightning Network. That's a very good, good use case. LN Markets is one that I, I keep forgetting about. LN Markets is also a good use case, yes. Have you heard about Pool? Pool actually, uh, which is a liquidity market for uh, Lightning. That is also an interesting use case where it actually develops a market where you can create a native interest rate uh, on Bitcoin when you start trading liquidity, basically. Those are some of the interesting developing use cases right now. But I think we've just scratched the surface of uh, adoption. We've, we have not actually seen any serious adoption right now. Again, I, I feel that adoption will come when uh, price continues to rise and sustains at certain level. From an adoption perspective, my, my thinking here is that un unless a circular economy develops on Bitcoin, you will not see significant lightning adoption. And what would it take for the circular economy to develop? Right now, the prevailing narrative is that buy Bitcoin and keep it with you because it's going to save your wealth. It's going to enable you to not lose value on your wealth. That's the prevailing narrative. And that narrative has to kind of sustain for some time where you know people continue to buy, buy into that narrative and uh, continue to hold Bitcoin. That narrative is actually happening at the individual level and now institutional level. Once that sustains for a certain amount of time, then people will switch to what can we do with our Bitcoin. And more importantly, I think I've said this, uh, I'm maybe sounding like a broken record, but merchants have to you know, come into the demand for accepting Bitcoin has to come from merchants. 
And I think that's a very important narrative because merchants are going to realize that when they see Bitcoin's price at $50,000 or $100,000, for instance, right, they will realize that it's very difficult for them to go into open market and buy Bitcoin with, with their fiat because they are not going to get much. They're not able to get much. So they will start thinking that, can I sell whatever I'm selling? Can I sell that for Bitcoin? And that is going to be the transition from savings to uh, uh, actual transaction-based adoption. Let's kind of talk a little bit about what a merchant or potentially just a user on Lightning might want or might need in order to kind of get started here. Ever since I started the podcast, I had this idea that trying to onboard everyone onto Bitcoin might actually be the wrong way to go about things. Maybe the best way to go about things is to try to pitch people on Lightning first and try to get them using Lightning first and then try to, you know, over time, teach them about the best practices of using Lightning and Bitcoin. And so they could start to understand a lot of the background. I generally think that if you can get people to like the experience of Lightning first, not overload them with go run your own node, go make sure you're doing all these private key things right, right out of the gate, whatever, and trying to make sure we install the full ideology and ethos from day one is probably a mistake. And just trying to get them to, this is useful in this way, go use it. And if you like it, go tell someone else. Basically it. I kind of wanted to touch on RTL too here a little bit without going off too far into outer space. A lot of the tools that a user or a merchant might use, I think would include RTL because when I first started my lightning journey back in the day, there there wasn't really RTL. I think there was like other things I think back then, but I I didn't really understand why you would need to use them. So the majority of the time I was just on the LND command line doing most of the things that was fine but more lately maybe towards the end of last year i've been seeing the value in things like rtl uh, thunderhub and others that are basically a control panel to your lightning node do you want to maybe explain rtl a little bit better than me and uh, kind of go from there rtl has been built with a technical user in mind a user who has understanding of Lightning or wants to actually understand the details of all the different parameters of uh, a Lightning node. That's a user that we kept in mind while building RTL. That user persona is loosely based on you know, my, my, <laughs> my own uh, usage of Lightning. So I was more or less a technical powered user of, of Lightning. So I wanted to know, you know uh, okay, when I'm logging into my node, what are the different things that I need to get a view of? What's a bird's eye view for me? And with that persona in mind, we have designed RTL. It is primarily for slightly technical user. And there is a merchant aspect as well. In RTL, we have different views. There are two views that you can have on your dashboard. If you are going with a a persona of routing node operator, you get a highly technical dashboard. If you go with a persona of a merchant, then you get a slightly abstracted view of the dashboard, which gives you simple, simple parameters. That's one aspect of it. And, you know, when you log into RTL, you have, you see a dashboard, which gives you information about the different aspects, which are important. For instance, what is your, what are the number of channels which are active? What are the, what is the routing fees that you may have earned? What are the different channels which you have? Uh, What is their balance? What is the overall balance score? 
uh, of your uh, channels. Those are important parameters if you're a routing node operator. If you're a merchant, you log in and you see some basic information. You see how much money you can receive, how much money you can send, and then there is a small control to be able to send and receive payment. That's all that you see if you're a merchant. We kept these two personas, uh, at least from a dashboard perspective, different and gave them a different view. On the menu that we have on the left side, uh, there are a lot of things that are available, right? You can connect to peers, open channels with them. While opening channels, you have a lot of options. When you are making payments, uh, you have options of choosing which channel to make the payment go through. When you are receiving payments, you can add privacy uh, routing hints. Then you can actually have a view of the network, can do advanced operations like circular rebalancing. Or if you have loop installed, you can actually do liquidity management on, on your node. Uh, those are the things which are kind of helpful for both a technical user as well as a merchant. So that's the kind of persona that we had in mind when we built RTF. I wanted to kind of uh, talk about the last two that you brought up because I was probably going to launch into rebalancing because that's the thing that I like RTL for the most, if I'm being entirely honest. I like how, how graphical everything is, but I think for the most part, everything else I can kind of do on the command line and it's fine. But rebalancing is a pain in the ass yeah. uh, <laughs> otherwise, right? So yeah. I have my main routing node on a BTC pay server installation. And the way they work is a little bit further behind what like my node or any of those guys might have on their, their side of things. So I've been kind of playing with RTL on my, uh, my node, node implementation. Or, and I really like the, the loop in, the loop out. I like the circular rebalancing. I feel like I can never get one to really go through correctly. Basically why I want loop to be on the BTC pay server side as soon as possible, because I feel like that is a lot easier to deal with when you're trying to move like five or six million sats out of a channel or something. Do you find the rebalancing piece to be one of the more pains in the ass, you know, period, like for everyone that's kind of trying to be of a routing node right now? Let's talk about, uh, you know, rebalancing aspects, and then maybe we can touch upon a loop as well, so that the listeners can have a, some conceptual understanding of what it is. Circular rebalancing is basically, you are making a payment to yourself. When you are doing that, what you are doing is you are using one channel to send the payment out, and use, you're using another channel to receive the payment back. So basically, the two channels which are involved in this transaction will adjust their balances accordingly. But your overall channel balance, which is at the node level, will remain unaffected. Only locally, you will impact the two channels because what you have done essentially is you are making a payment to yourself. So it's basically a, a complete loop. But effectively, at the overall, at your node level, you're not moving anything because whatever you're sending, you are receiving back. So your overall channel balance remains unaffected. Only the two channels which are involved in the transaction, they shift their balances from one side to the other. So that's one aspect of uh, circular rebalancing. The important thing to note when you're operationally doing it is through RTL, there is a, you know, there is a suggested fees because when you do the circuit, basically when you send the payment to yourself, it goes through a couple of nodes in the network back to your node. So that can entail some routing fees, which those nodes will be charging. So you may have to play with the, the fee limit that you're setting on your circular rebalancing if your payment is actually not going through, uh, and then you may be able to sexually execute your circular rebalance. You may also want to start with small amounts first. If you have a certain particular balance that you want to move, 
on one of your channels. Don't start with that complete balance. Start with smaller balance. See what balances are going through. And then, you know, kind of level your amount up, uh, ultimately getting to the amount that you want to rebalance. So that's about circular rebalance. Now, coming to loop. A loop is basically a submarine swap. So basically what it is, is it's a way to exchange liquidity between offline, which is uh, Lightning, and on-chain Bitcoin. What you do is uh, in loop out, for instance, right? Loop out is actually a good tool if you are a merchant and uh, you want to receive payments, or if you're a merchant and if you ha- had some channels which got exhausted because you have received a lot of payments, then you can use the loop tool to adjust the balances on your channel so that you are, you are again ready to receive more payments. So that's at the top level, the use case. But essentially, technically, what you're doing is in loop out, you are making a payment to loop server on Lightning and loop server is sending you back the SATs that you have paid them on chain to your wallet, right? That's what is happening. It's an exchange between Lightning and on chain, but the impact is when you do make a payment to the loops server, you basically move some funds to your uh, outgoing side and that enables you to receive payments again. Basically, that's what loop out is doing. Loop in is the opposite side of things. What is happening in loop in is you are sending on-chain funds to the loop server and loop server is sending funds back to you on Lightning. If you have exhausted your ability to pay, uh, you do a loop in, which will send money back to your side of the channel and then you can basically make payments. So that's essentially loop in, loop out and circular rebalancing. Do you think that RTL is going to see other rebalancing tools in the future? Like, are we going to see Lightning Pool in there in some way or fashion? So Lightning Pool is still not on a roadmap yet right now, but we are actually working on adding more swap providers like Bolts. The Bolt service is something that we are actually working on right now to integrate. So the users can have choice between either doing using Loop, uh, which is Lightning Lab solution, or Bolts, which is another swap service that they can use to manage their liquidity between on-chain and off-chain. My potential concern is right now uh, fees aren't quote-unquote super cheap. I've been trying to open channels while being a cheapskate with like one or two set transactions. There they have not confirmed. I'm not sure if you would guess that, but they've been just sitting there for like a week not confirming. I wanted to jump in on that because for that we have a solution in RTL. So if you have a pending channel, which you have opened on LND, uh, and it's not getting confirmed. And if you want then channel to get confirmed, you can actually do CPFP, Child Pays for Parent, uh, via RTL UI to accelerate the confirmation of that channel. We have a feature in RTL to handle pending channel opens. Is there is there anything else in RTL that I'm missing? Because like I think there's so many little uh, little switch and gizmos and things in there <laughs> to play with. There's one more interesting feature which we added in the last release. In addition to all that I talked about, there's a feature that we added for reports, which actually gives you a good idea if you're routing a lot of payments, right? You can go to the reports section and then pull up reports uh, which are summarized routing fee collection that you have done at the monthly level. You can summarize at the yearly level. So that's one type of report where you can summarize the routing fees that you're earning. There is another report which is available for transactions, which can summarize the transactions that you have made or paid or the transactions that you have received. So we are giving these two reports, which are giving summary at the monthly level, and you can actually do that summary at the yearly level as well. 
these are actually good features, I believe. If you're a merchant, for instance, if you're trying to figure out, okay, you know, on my node, how many payments have I made or how much payments have I received? Or if I'm a routing node, how much SATs have I earned routing over a period of time? You can actually use that reports feature to get that data. Fantastic. I appreciate you letting me know about the reporting features there. I was kind of curious, though, uh, how did you first start with RTL? And what exactly do you like uh, doing uh, over there? I actually, uh, interestingly, started working on RTL somewhere around uh, mid of 2018. Mm, there's an interesting story that I have around that. <laughs> so I actually set up my first Lightning node in March of 2018, you know, April of 2018, rather. And I actually followed Staticus's guide. Uh, I don't know whether you know about that, that guide. It was quite famous, actually, for setting up Lightning nodes on Raspberry Pi. When I set up my Lightning node, there were actually very few nodes on the mainnet network, maybe around 20-odd or 50-odd nodes overall would be there. And the overall network capacity at that time was maybe two Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm talking about April 2018. Uh, the total network capacity was two Bitcoin, some, uh, somewhere around that. At that time, uh, interestingly, I set up my node with the autopilot feature, and my node connected with Staticus's node automatically. <laughs> And I then, I was kind of encouraged. I admired his work a lot. I followed his guide to set up my node. So I just sent him a message on Twitter that, you know, my node and your node is connected. So he confirmed that, yes, yes, we are connected. And then I kind of started having conversations with him. And while we were discussing, he said that, you know, there are no good UI solutions. I wish there were some good UI solutions for managing a lightning node. I was incidentally actually working on some sort of a dashboard type feature because I realized that when you log into your node, for a technical user, there are so many things that you want to know about. Has my node forwarded any transactions? Have I earned any fee on it? What are my peers? What are the status of my channel balances? Uh, there are so many things that you are curious about when you you know log into your node and that you that you want to know. So with that kind of questions in mind, I was I we started building this kind of dashboard type feature that kind of you know morphed into RTL and Staticus connected me with Rootsol. So Rootsol was actually at that time working on Raspberry Blitz as a packaged node solution following Staticus's guide. So they took his guide and basically they were trying to get all the parts together and build a plug and play type node for the user. I started collaborating with Rootsol and Rootsol's Raspberry Blitz was the first node solution which actually integrated RTL. Then, you know, I reached out to Nodal. Uh, Nodal was also building a solution at that time. So I started talking to all of these solution providers. And interestingly, everybody found RTL to be a good fit in their stack. So then RTL kind of continued to grow. And with each integration, there was something or the other that we kept learning and improving. Ultimately, that's the product that you see right now in its current shape. So you've been working on it for almost uh, three years then? Uh, yeah, more than two, almost two and a half years right now. Yeah. <laughs> Would you call yourself a bit of a lightning OG then a little bit? I would consider myself a lightning OG, yes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I would say that, you know, I am a kind of OG who has lost money on lightning nodes, basically. <laughs> lightning OGs are, have a different type of, you know, stories to tell, basically. Yeah. Our nodes crash, uh, you know, we, we lose funds in the channel. So, yeah, we have kind of, a, you know, <laughs> different type of stories to tell. How much money have you lost on your uh, lightning adventure so far? Somewhere around 6 million sats, at least. <laughs> Poor sats, poor sats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going from there, um, what do you see as being like the future of RTL? Do you think it's going to dramatically change or just kind of keep iterating along and doing its thing? I would say, you know, at this point, 
feature of RTL is kind of tied with feature of lightning, <laughs> right? Um, that's what I feel because we are so tied in with so many, all these node solution providers. We are there in Umbrel, Raspberry Blitz, BTC Pay Server, Nodal, uh, you know, take any node solution. Uh, RTL is there into my node, right? It's integrated as part of their package. As Lightning's adoption increases, these node solution providers will be selling more products and people will try to figure out how to run Lightning. So RTL will kind of kind of grow with that. But the focus of RTL is basically technical user who want to run their own node and want to understand the technicalities of uh, Lightning. So I see not significant like explosive growth <laughs> like any uh, a typical wallet would like for instance a bitcoin wallet or lightning wallet would definitely go at a much faster pace but rdl would will grow as lightning node adoption increases so that's where i see closely kind of tied with uh, lightning nodes growth basically we were touching on lightning adoption before you're kind of mentioning that like the price could be involved there do you see any other event or a situation that would cause people just to run towards Bitcoin lightning like mad? I see the encrypted chats as a good, unique use case. I don't know whether we will call it um, a killer app, but it has significant value because as you see, the overall right masses are kind of waking up to big tech companies uh, having such a wide hold over their data and their lives. So there might be a, a section of users which will start thinking about you know, sovereign solutions which give them more control over their data, apps like Signal, or there can be more exotic use cases which can come from encrypted chats. I see that as a unique use case which uh, can give some pressure of adoption for Lightning, but I primarily see a significant uh, jump uh, in Lightning adoption coming from merchants asking for Bitcoin payments as Bitcoin's price increase. I think that's going to be a significant force of adoption because the best or the easiest or the fastest way for merchants to get paid Bitcoin would be Lightning. The moment merchants starts demanding Bitcoin payments, you'll start seeing Lightning adoptions uh, increase. That's my thesis, basically. What would you say is your favorite Lightning app or product right now? In terms of node solution or actual application? Anything. So like any kind of software that anyone's making, anything that's more user focused, anything, just your own personal favorite. I love Sphinx chat. I think that's really unique. I like the, the experience of chatting on it and how I can use my node to have a completely encrypted chat. So I, I'm very excited about that. I do like Poyo feed, <laughs> you know, feeding chickens with lightning. And in terms of the node solutions, Actually, I like Umbrel a lot. I'm very impressed with the UI, UX, and how they're packaging the whole solution together. Those are some of my favorite solutions right now. In Lightning. I just want to talk about Sphinx Chat really fast and apologize to Paul because I was supposed to get my like podcasting 2.0 thing set up or whatever where people can listen to Lightning Junkies and pay us sats per second or per, per minute or whatever it is. And I've just been kind of blowing it off, unfortunately. But I promise I will get that set up, guys. I promise. My partner, Kat, actually is setting up their node for the first time. You know, like I'm a nerd that has three. And so they're setting up their own with some pressure from me, only some. <laughs> and they're using Umbrel. So they're, uh, it's my first exposure to it. And I, and I feel very similarly. It was a very easy setup. The, the UI looks really um, attractive. It has all the fun toys in there, RTL included, of course, uh, Sphinx Chat Relay. 
all that good stuff. So yeah, it's it's really exciting and it's really fun. Hopefully we're going to have more content around Umbral eventually and maybe get someone from from them over here on the podcast as well so we can talk more about that. I think we're kind of reaching the end of the podcast. I had only had an hour or so put aside for now, but um, that's pretty much it. Did you have anything final you want to let the audience know about Bitcoin, Lightning, RTL, or anything else? Just one thing I would like the, the viewers to know that uh, I don't know how many people know that, but RTL is purely a, a volunteer initiative. There is no company behind it. There is no funding behind it. It's just a pure labor of love, basically, <laughs> right? It's just our way to give back to the community and also try to do our part to increase the adoption of Lightning. So that's what RTL is. So we would like if people are interested in contributing in any way, you know, give design inputs, try to contribute code or review PRs or anything that they would like to do so that the whole community continues to benefit from the solution, improve the quality of the solution. So that would be my appeal. Feel free to uh, come to our GitHub repo and give us feedback. Or if you want to review code, feel free to review it. Uh, you know, whatever way you would like to contribute. I would like to have more eyes on RTL's code so that we improve the uh, quality of the code and the whole community benefits from it. That's what I would like the community to do for us. Perfect. Would you let the, let the listeners know how they can find both you and RTL on the interweb? Sure, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Suheb, S-U-H-E-B, underscore, underscore. My handle is my two sats at Suheb, underscore, underscore. Uh, you can find, uh, follow RTL and RTL underscore APP uh, on Twitter. There are GitHub links on the RTL Twitter account and my account as well. So if you find me or follow me, uh, then you can you know, find our GitHub repo and then give us your feedback there. All right, perfect. Well, I really want to thank you for joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast. Thanks a lot. Boom. That was the 40th episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. I really appreciate you listening all the way to the end. If you did, in fact, listen to the end, but you would only hear this if you listened until the end. Did you learn anything on this podcast? Were you inspired to go contribute to RTL, to other open source Bitcoin and Lightning Network projects? I hope so. There isn't too much to say here other than we're going to continue to make new episodes. We're going to produce a episode made for newbies to onboard them onto Lightning and talking about making that episode for a long time. We got Evan Kalutis to help us with that episode. You should hopefully see that episode drop in February. If you take anything away from the Lightning Junkies experience, feel free to donate to Lightning Junkies at lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. I will leave you here, my youngins. I will leave you here. For now, I shall see you on the Lightning Network. Network.